0: Well, happy Wednesday, all you lovely people. So excited to be here for another Real Talk. If you are joining us live, we're excited to be here with you. If you're watching this on recording, we're excited you took the time to watch this later on. A couple quick things as we get started by way of housekeeping. First and most important, everyone, please take a moment, go to your chat box. On the bottom of your chat box, you should find a little drop down menu. If yours says hosts and panelists, that's not right. Change it, click there and make sure it says everyone because only by changing it to everyone will everyone in the chat box be able uh, and uh, willing to jump in and participate with each other there. Uh, So we are excited to have that going on. Uh, As always, if this is your first time, welcome. In fact, let us know in the chat box if this is your first time on Real Talk. Uh, We had over 900 registrants for Real Talk today. Uh, We are currently sitting at over 300 people live in attendance, so that chat box is going to go fast and furious, uh, but we love it, and that is a great way for all of you to connect with one another. I've seen a lot of you uh, talking to each other, sharing where you're from, and getting to know each other there in the chat box. Uh, Also, uh, we do have a way for you to submit your questions specifically to the panel today, and that is the Q&A box. It is different from the chat box because it's marked Q&A, and that comes to just those of us on the panel. And we would love to be able to help you there uh, with questions that may pop in along today's topic. Also, if you have not been on a Real Talk before, uh, this is a chance for us to get together in a panel to talk about all kinds of topics, sometimes things very uh, vulnerable, sometimes things very real, sometimes things very practical, very business oriented, uh, sometimes more personal. Uh, but always our goal here is for you to leave this hour a better coach than you started. So whatever that looks like for you, however that transformation happens, uh, we would love to see it. And Angela, know that it's not the Q&A box, uh, you're still in the chat box there. Uh, but we would, again, love to see your questions uh, for the panel here. So uh, we do have something very special today outside of the ordinary. And I'm gonna have Lisa in just a second talk to you about who we have joining us today. Uh, But I think it's a really important thing for us to understand. There's a really important principle in learning and growth and development. And that principle comes from really taking the time to learn from those who have gone before you. I remember one of my favorite memories here at Ramsey Solutions. We have these occasional evenings where people will get together and uh, after work and smoke cigars. and, And Dave himself actually makes an appearance fairly regularly at these things. And I remember sitting with about 10 other people around a fireplace, just listening to Dave tell stories about radio early days and what he learned about the wavelengths of AM and FM radio. And I remember at one point Dave saying, but this is kind of silly. Here's a bunch of young men sitting around listening to an old guy talk about the radio days. And we all had the same opinion. I want to hear this. I I want to understand what has come before. Because we all, every single one of us, whether this is your first time and you're just getting started, and you are waiting that first coaching client, or you've been coaching for a decade or two decades, there's always something to learn. And as Lisa is about to introduce our guest today, I want this to kind of be the scripture at the forefront of our minds from today's discussion. This is from First Thessalonians chapter two. Uh, starting in verse five. It says, for we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority, but we proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become very dear to us. Uh, So with that in mind, Lisa, talk about who we have joining us today.
1: So welcome, everybody. Thanks. It was fun watching everything in the chat feature. Uh, Russ, there is a young woman on the, um, before I do that, I wanted to tell you there because I don't have, I didn't open the chat feature for Russ. I wanted him to to just focus on you guys today. But someone named Kathy, I believe, Kathy, I'm looking for your, she's having lunch with your brother Chuck today. So (laughs) I saw I caught that one. I'm glad because the chat box moves really fast. But today, guys, we have Russ Carroll with us. Russ was Dave's first team member back in the day. And he'll give a little bit more about that story. Right. But the foundations of Financial Coach Master Training were built on the shoulder of this giant. And um, we do love story. Russ loves to tell story. And uh, he has a lot of them. Over the years, and his years and years and years of coaching, he's been retired since 2014, but the story continues, right? And um, so, we are just so grateful to have him here today. Coaches, I want to start with this in verse 2, chapter 10 of the book of Luke. Now, when we did live coach and counselor training, before it was financial coach master training, it was called counselor training years back. And um, Russ would do a devotion. Um, on the second morning, the the first morning, the second day of our um, training, and he would devote on this verse of scripture, and it has stuck with me because we would pray, and we would pray, and we would pray, and it says that the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. Ask Him to send more workers into his fields. And he has honored that prayer over the last 23 years of, of training. And here you are today. So if you ever wonder, did anybody pray for you? This man did. And he is devoted for you and to you. And that is legacy. You are legacy. Legacy is the past. It is the future, but it's also in the present. Because right now is the only moment you have to leave a legacy. And um, so we just are so grateful to have Russ here today. And we will work through story. And Russ, I think the first question I want to ask you is, do you remember when you would do those devotions over the, the, uh, the, the trainees, those who came in here to our offices, it was much more in-depth than what I just did, right? Sure. I just quoted scripture. But when you did those devotions, share your heart okay. behind that devotional.
2: Well, it's really easy, I think, to be able to, um, to sit down and talk with people, um, unless you're an introvert and uh, i'm not an introvert i enjoy people and enjoy that and um so but the, the principle was yeah the principle is one of uh of uh, application it's taken from matthew chapter 9 verse 35 through 38 um because i wanted to to instill in coaches as we were training and working with them um that <clears throat> it's how you see people that makes all the difference. And some people see people differently. Well, the passage itself says this, and Jesus was going about every town and village, teaching in her synagogues, uh, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and sickness. And it says, in seeing the multitude, he felt compassion on them because he, they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. So he turned to his disciples and he said, pray the Lord of the harvest that you might be he might raise up more laborers to be thrust into his harvest well the harvester is the spirit of god it's not you and i we can point people in a direction but we can't make those decisions for them and then do what jesus did so what did he was doing he was teaching in pe- places where people were interested in spiritual things proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom now the gospel of kingdom is a little different than maybe what we've heard but Jesus said, "Repent, for the kingdom of God is among you." So it's it's a turning uh, from whatever lifestyle or thing that is holding us, and turning to Him, and then healing every kind of disease and sickness. Well, most of us don't know or haven't seen a lot of a lot of personal healing, physical healing in people, or blind people seeing, or deaf people hearing, or people that. Are being possessed by a, a demon of some kind, or a and being cast out. But medical professionals tell us that basically ninety percent of all disease is caused by stress. And I can't think of another area that, in coaching people over the decades and decades, because I was trained when I was twenty-five by a guy named Larry Burkett, and uh, and. That's only 50 years ago cause I'm almost 76. So the idea being is that somewhere along the way people needed to understand and see how to do this. So I had four principles and I call them revolutionary because really the principles are there. One is see people the way Jesus saw them. And that's my prayer for you and for myself is that every day, and we don't do this every day. All of us are human and we're lacking in some areas but praying and asking lord help me to see people the way jesus saw them because he saw them differently it says he felt compassion on them the word compassion is not a a word that we like we we hear it and we think it's this passionate loving on people and stuff like that but the reality is the word actually means to be moved in your bowels and uh, jesus had a physical reaction when he saw people He had to get involved in their lives. And then he asked his disciples. He didn't go tell them, go get them. No, he says, pray the Lord of the harvest. So it's seeing people the way Jesus saw them, being moved with compassion to get involved in their lives, and then praying that God would raise up more people to be able to be involved. Because it's not a job that only one of us or two of us can do. It's multiple thousands of people that need to touch the lives of other people. And then to do what he did, talk about these principles in wherever you might worship or wherever you might be, and then proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. Be prepared to share your faith with other people. And then healing every kind of disease. Well, financial issues and peace can come there. I I love the word shalom in Hebrew. My wife by the way teaches hebrew she's a messianic jew background wise and um she teaches at a seminary level you know way above what i was i'm i'm a a very simple guy but the reality is is it pray the lord of the harvest well the word shalom in the original hebrew language is very interesting now modern hebrew it's a greeting shalom shalom You know, shalom, shalom. You know, you talk about it, and they greet people that way in Israel. But the word in terms of the letters in the original Paleo Hebrew says this the four letters in here in the word shalom, the destruction of the authority that's attached to chaos. So, what does that mean? It means that God is working on our behalf to destroy the works of the devil. And we have an opportunity to bring peaceful lifestyle into a situation where it could have been very difficult and one of the basic principles of course that i apply when i sat down and coach people was the goal is to help people to spend less than they make well that means debt's not smart long term it usually comes back to haunt you because it is a is a is a, a crusher of your personality in your life. But in addition, the scripture says that you're a slave when you're in debt to someone, you're a slave. And so I want people to do that, but I don't tell people specifically what they must do, period. I give them alternatives. What's the recommendation here, here and here? There's opportunities to make choices. They have to begin to make the choice because it's basically behavior modification. If they've got issues of debt, or they have never embraced an understanding of how money works in our culture because it's, it's very different. We're the most marketed country in the world's history and people are always pulling for my money all the time. And it's okay in a free enterprise system, but in Romans chapter 12, verse two, it says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God has given us, uh, what I call, uh, pushers back against magnets that pull on us. In other words, he's always telling us, you don't have to live the way the rest of everybody lives. And so I would sit down in a counseling coaching session with someone and say, "Um, uh, don't try to keep up with the Joneses or the Schwartzes or or somebody else of varying backgrounds in, in, in Middle East or in India or wherever it might be. You have to mark out the path that you and your family or you as an individual are going to take, regardless of what anybody else does. And so I just tell them, you have to choose. And so choose. I can coach you if you choose a recommendation that you want to pursue, and I'll do my best to do that for you. That's all.
0: So, <laughs> that's, Russ, you, you mentioned that that's first all. principle. <laughs> I I want to make sure we got the principles because several people have asked you mentioned four (laughs) principles. I want to make sure. So the first one was see people as Jesus saw them.
2: Right. And that's different than what we see.
0: Right. Right. What was principle two again for all those that are taking notes? Be
2: compassionate. Move to be involved in their lives. Three, pray the way he prayed. And then four, do what he did. Now we say, well, how can we do what Jesus did? Well, he's given us the Holy Spirit and he actually told his disciples that you will see greater things than what what you've seen with me when you share truth with them. And truth changes um, people. And uh, we're all prone to struggles in our lives and we all have temptations. But even in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, no temptation has taken you, but such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability, but with that temptation, provide a way of escape. So we all need that. Have you ever fallen? Have I ever fallen? Sure. I've made mistakes in all my life, in these young 75 years. But the fact of the matter is is that God's faithful, he'll bring you back. Because it says also in First John 9, 1 9, that if we agree with God concerning our sin, the static on the line that's distracted us from him. He is faithful and just. Forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we all have hope. In fact, it's interesting that the word mercies from Habakkuk says, his mercies are new every morning. It's interesting in the scriptures, the word mercy is never in the singular. It's in the plural. rachamim. It's in plural that His mercies ever are ever there, waiting for us to come to Him. So, that's kind of what I've seen. Hopefully, I I, I acknowledge those fine. Seeing people, maybe be moved with compassion, praying the way He prayed, and then doing what He did.
0: Well, and I even just want to highlight something that was really interesting. You talk about doing what He did, then you you called out that verse: "When you are tempted, God provides a way out." What yeah. did you say? Our role was as a coach. To help people see the options that they didn't see, to see the alternatives that they didn't see, to find that way out. Yeah, Uh, and so that that is part of that is that model of what it looks like to do coaching is to help people find those alternatives.
2: Correct. Exactly. And and you know, there's not only one alternative. You know, because everybody's at a different place, they have to start where they are and start moving in a direction. So my goal or your goal as a coach is to be able to point people in the right direction and then help them to accomplish that over time. Live on than so, you make.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so Russ, there was, there was an interesting question in the chat box that said, well, can you do coaching without preaching? Sure. Um, Yeah. And um, those principles that you laid out is really about our character. Right. And 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 showing showing the love of Christ to people, not Mm -hmm. preaching. So, yeah, that was a that was an interesting question to me. I'd love for you to address that.
2: Well, 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 the direction is this, that God wants to have a relationship with me. You know, and if he's has a, if I have a relationship with him then he wants to shine through life through me, and that's a, that's an ultimate, awesome, overwhelming, uh, uh, responsibility. But at the same time, he provides everything I need to be able to do that. So I try to couch the truth in principles in terms that they understand where they are, um, I'm not preaching as a preacher, though I have been a preacher in one in seven, short seven mirrors of my life. But the fact of the matter is, is I, I my goal is to help people where they are. And uh, so I don't couch it in giving them chapter and verse. What I gave to you today is a character foundation for me personally, because I can't tell you to see. I can't have you learn to see people the way Jesus saw them. Without him working in your life, or move mm-hmm. with compassion to get involved, or pray the way he prayed, or do what he did, mm-hmm. um, it's all um, how he expresses himself uniquely through each of our personalities mm-hmm. and all our right. gifts, our gifts. Well, you.
1: You, your that spirit of what you're teaching now is really the foundations of financial coach master Training. It's where it started yeah, and what it yeah. has continued to be. It was a pretty it, you you grew some pretty deep roots. I'll have to say that, and yeah. um, we fight really hard um, w- w- against the world to hold true and dear to those principles. You know, to the outside influences. Um, but you said something I'd love for you to expand on. And you said, um, we meet people right where they are. That's a common yeah. language around here. We say it on development calls. We talk to our coaches about it. We meet people right where they are. Can go deeper with that, paint a picture of that one, describe that, what that means.
2: Well, one of the reasons I ask people to provide for me as best they can, where they are financially before I meet with them. So I can look at that information and, cre- and create questions to be able to draw them in the process. Um, and everybody's different. I had a couple come in one time that had a million dollars with a credit card debt. And sitting around the table, he said, how did we get here? Like I had this immediate <laughs> answer. The reality was um, uh, you got there. And, I, and then what I did, I tried to lighten the atmosphere. I said, I looked over my shoulder and I said, are, are you talking to me? <laughs> and, uh, and the reason for that was because ultimately he didn't realize he gets, he got their one choice at a time. Everybody makes choices and those choice And then you ask them the question, well, what did you buy with that? Oh, well, yeah, I've got a lot of stuff, you know, and, and, uh, and I said, well, Let's look at some opportunities and alternatives that you can see for yourself and then take them home with you. And you and your wife pray about it, talk about it, think about it to find out which one seems to be the direction that. that you're willing you... to take. And uh, that's important. My watch just was speaking to me. Um, sorry about that. Um, yeah. And, and there are funny things. I've got an Apple watch. I don't, I never liked watches. I never liked to wear watches. And they sometimes complain when I would over two hours in an initial session with people. But my last year, my wife on her birthday takes me to Costco and buys me on her birthday, an Apple watch. And I said, can you afford that? She says, oh yeah, yeah, I can afford that. And so, um, but, but the funny part about it is I didn't realize how Apple watches work, you know? And if I'm asking a question to somebody or talking it it gives me an answer or says, I can't find an answer to that question. And it, it's kind of weird, but it just helped me anyway. So, um, so yeah, I, so what I try to do is I try to find out, and I usually say this when all the facts are clear, the answers will jump out at us. And, uh, because behavior is big part of what changes people to make better financial choices. You know, um, my wife and I have agreed that we don't make financial decisions over $75 and everybody's different and how, what number they find, $75, unless we agree on it. So that's one of the things that's a principle that we've adopted personally. And of course, I'm talking, you're talking to somebody that didn't have a credit card for 29 years. And uh, all of a sudden I, I got to Israel one time and to see my wife's family and they said they didn't take my debit card any longer. So we were stranded without a rental car <laughs> there uh, in, 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 in Israel. So the idea being is, that so I do have one credit card but I only use it for my transportation in Israel. So that's, and I don't even use it today. So big picture is a difference. So, and uh, you can't always require that for people but you have to start with where, where they are. And what is the thing that's catching them? What are they fearful of? What, and, and, and it may not be debt. It may be, I just want to make better choices so that my future with my kids, I've got five kids, and what what's the future going to look like? And uh, living on less than you make to be able to save for those kind of things takes time. So, Russ. I wanna,
0: well, I wanna, okay. okay, I just want to highlight something, and then I'll jump to you, Les because I think it's really important to highlight something that Russ said, right? I want their information to create questions. I didn't say I want their information so I can create their answers. He didn't say I want their information so I can make their budget, so I can make their plan, so I can give them their options. I want their information so that I can craft the questions because when the facts become clear, the answers become obvious.
3: Right. Sorry, go ahead, Les. Yeah, I just, uh, around here, you know, we joke about, you know, I've been coaching for 30 years and all that stuff, right? But I want everyone to hear clearly that that man right there is my mentor. <laughs> okay, he's the one that basically helped train me way back in the day. And so I have the utmost respect for Russ Carroll. Uh, but I, uh, one of the things I, Russ, I really respected about you. And I'd like you to talk about this uh, to all the coaches. We got over 400, like 450 coaches right now. And so I'd like you to talk about the integrity of a coach because you talked about, you know, not having a credit card yourself for 29 years until Israel made you right. Um, but one of the things I remember you talking about, too, during the old counselor training days is when you hit a certain baby step and life happened, you'd go back, you'd shut off the investing and you'd go back to baby step two or three, you know, and, and you just live this yourself as a coach. Talk about the integrity, and the importance that was to you as a coach to live it yourself personally.
2: No, i think that's a fair question unless a big part of it is just um making a decision where you are to to choose what you and your wife together choose rather than trying to live up to somebody else's expectations um and so god makes us of a character through time it's not an event and so learning to to work on those things is important but I had to, and Dave and I, when we first started, we talked about this a lot. Um, Integrity is really important. You just speak truth. And of course, the scripture says, I've got what? A belt of truth as part of my armor. Never has anything uh, uh, protecting the back because we're moving forward. But the fact of the matter is, is that you have to make decisions based on what you have made some decisions for before God, because ultimately he's our audience of one. And uh, and big picture for me is just one step at a time, one decision at a time and uh, sticking with it. When Dave and I started, basically we said, we will build this business without going in debt. And I don't know what's happened since the eight years, you know, half years since I've retired, Nope. I probably would say <laughs> they have not spent any debt to do this. Still no debt. And, yeah, and so there's there's integrity in that. And uh, I've been debt free for 27 years. Uh, no mortgage, no no house payment, no no credit card debt or whatever. So we make decisions based on what we have. And if we don't have it, we save for it to do it. Like I used to save for my, my when I was um, seven years old. This is part of my story. When I was seven years old, I asked my dad for some money. He said, son, I need to take, let's take a walk. And so we walked down the street and he said, I need to teach you a four letter word. W-O-R-K. Work. <laughs> and the funny part about that is that I started my own grass cutting business at seven years old. Push mower and a grass catcher. Now, I was unfortunately fortunately, I was in Northern California, just below San Francisco, which I grew up there before it was Silicon Valley, you know, and everybody got enamored with Silicon Valley and stuff like that. Well, it wasn't there when when we started uh, living there and stuff like that. Well, until I graduated from high school, that's what I did, I cut lawns. When I was was 14, I said, dad, I'm I'm itching to buy a car at some point. How do you do that? And uh, he said, you save up, you pay cash, you buy a car that's used, uh you hopefully have a little bit of warranty on it if it's new enough but you drive it till the wheels fall off so i bought a car at 16 for 1295 dollars of cash and never looked back i drove it until i graduated from college and um, at that point um uh basically sold it to my roommate because i got drafted in the army right out of college in 69 so that was uh Part of that process and um, and so uh, never complained but saved up while I was in the army and I bought a my only new car that I have ever owned was a new. Volkswagen van. And my wife would go, "What? why do you buy vans all the time? Well, I drove a Jesus revolution. At, <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It's kind of wild. A Volkswagen van. And uh, I drove it uh, for 360,000 miles. And I sold it for a couple thousand dollars. And I only paid 3,800 cash for it So, um, at the time. So everybody's different. But you can start a legacy for yourself by making choices based on what you and your spouse met made together in light of what anybody else tells you so i don't try to keep up with the joneses i don't care what kind of car they think i drive or not drive that's me personally some people buy nicer cars and that's fine for them but i've always paid cash for a car so i'm weird like that And i don't mind being weird so now I'm, russ we did it. get
0: the question coming in that i think is on everybody's mind how much shag carpet was in this van <laughs>
2: none <laughs> what i did is i took the middle seat out and i put down a, a styrofoam pad and i put a blanket over it covered it and i made two large pillows so when i would drive across country because my first assignment out of the army was in i'm from california but i was in, in norfolk virginia um, i had to drive across country so every time i, I wouldn't stop at a motel i'd stop at a rest stop and i'd sleep in the van you know i know some people say that's not very safe well, Hey, you know, what can I say? I'm a big guy. Uh, but the idea being is, is that I just, ha- I, I just, uh, did what I felt was the right thing to do. And that is not necessarily what everybody else thinks. Now, if I had been married at that point, I didn't get married until I was almost 39 years old. Um, and have been married now 38, almost 38 years. Life is just uh, a process, you know, and you work with, it with what you have. Uh, I remember my daughter, the first time I disciplined her. And, you know, discipline is part of the thing. You didn't get... <laughs> now, that, neither here nor there. I can remember I disciplined her, and she came to me, and she said, Dad, that really made me sad. And I said, well, sweetie, it was intended to catch your attention so that you would make better choices. <laughs> you know, and so part of the education. Or the time that my daughter decided she had unlimited text messaging. And um, she was a junior in college and she had, uh, I don't know, was it 6,000 text messages and her plan only included 1,500. So I said, you need to pay dad and mom $300. You got dad, I'm your daughter. What do you mean? I gotta pay you money. I said, yeah, but part of the journey is that you have to learn. And, uh, so by the time she graduated from college, to get her graduation gift from college, she had to finish financial peace online, university online while she was in school. And she did, and she got her graduation gift. So the idea being is that until today, apart from a mortgage, that's the only debt that she and her husband have. And they choose not to spend in debt. So you can carry on a legacy with your family and your kids. And now we just had one, I was the oldest of seven. So um, there's a lot of grandkids and I got nieces and nephews out there and all that kind of stuff from different family members. But the fact of the matter is, is you start with what you are and don't let anybody waver you off of that. Do I care? That's a
0: spectacular segue into our next question here, Russ, right? Not letting anyone waver you off of that. Um, This is kind of the other end of the spectrum from the question we got earlier. Uh, So let me, just read this question out, and I want Russ and, and even the rest of the panel to jump in on this, because uh, we have a wide array of generations and stuff displayed on the panel today. Uh, but it said, This is from Tanya. I find when I reference God, a lot of the younger generations get turned off by it. Millennials and Generation Z have a large group that is anti-religion. How do we meet these people where they are when we are believers? Yeah. I don't want to lose clients by turning them off. Sadly, our world can get so divisive
2: yeah a good book that you might be interested in reading is called awake not woke um because <laughs> what happened in, in the woke generation it all comes from the franklin school in germany which came in 1920 and attached itself to uh columbia university in new york and they teach teachers so we're teaching soft socialism subtly which means that everybody's truth is everybody's truth, whatever they want. And if you disagree with me with my truth and don't celebrate that, then ultimately um there. So talk to them in real language. You don't have to talk to them in spiritual language. I know that all truth originates from the very character of God. It's like a, a my t-shirt that they Les saw last night and Lisa saw, it says, who's your daddy. <laughs> and, um, That's a question that we all have to ask. But my daughter and my son-in-law are affected by that to some degree because they grew up in this generation. They know the principles of finance, but they are hmm, kind of iffy about their relationship with God because of what they see. And they want to bend the truth a little bit to accomplish that. Well, I can't change that. Only God can. Mm -hmm. And so what I try to do is I try to pray for them. I listen to them. I try to talk with them. I was an athlete growing up. I played football, basketball and baseball in high school and college. And um, I look back on those things and you know, I'm not systemically racist because all my teammates were of a different color. And learning to see that and understand that is important because truth relates to those people as well. But we can be twisted by the environment of what truth is and so i'm saying is we live in a generation where people have just tried to define and usually through education that they've received that uh tried to define what truth is for them and so i'll be called a bigot or a racist at sometimes because i don't necessarily celebrate what they think but i'm not trying to judge them or trying to change them Um, in the generation i live in things are very different than when I grew up. And I'll admit that. So what I do is I start with where they are, talk to them about principles. The biblical principles of finance are very clearly understood by just common English language. Or if you're in Israel, it's Hebrew, you know, and that kind of thing. But I've been exposed because I lived in Poland and Yugoslavia and Austria and England, and I lived in Moscow, Russia. So I have a, a wide experience of life that's different than most people. But you gotta start with people where they are. What do they know? What do they say? What do they think? I can't well, convince them to do that, but I can talk about the principle, the principle of living on less than you make or having gazelle intensity about getting out of debt. Those are principles that people can understand because they are being pressured by the same principles of financial debt and struggle that everybody else is at different times. Not all, not everybody, but most are experiencing
0: that. I, and I, mean, I think I, to speak to this from the other end of the age side, because I actually do fall under the, that millennial umbrella. I'm on the upper end of it, but I'm, I'm still technically a millennial. And one of the things that the millennial and the Gen Z generation values above just about anything is vulnerability. And I know this because everyone thinks that they have a voice. Everyone thinks their opinion matters. And I'm pretty sure the stats are that everyone has at least two podcasts of their own Mm -hmm. uh, at this point. Because like anybody can say anything. (laughs) Everybody's got a voice everywhere. And people in our generation love vulnerability. Right. And and so one of the best ways to meet somebody where they are is to be with them a little bit. Right. We talk about the faith element. And one of the really important things, there's this powerful story in John chapter 11 where his friend Lazarus is sick. And Jesus is told, you gotta come, he's gonna die. You gotta get here. And Jesus stalls and doesn't show up in time. And he gets there and they tell him, your friend Lazarus is dead. You didn't get here in time. And his first response was to weep because yeah. he wanted to meet with them. He, was, he took a moment of vulnerability and mm-hmm. shared in an experience with these yeah. people and then had the opportunity to do something powerful that came afterwards. And so I will say, especially if you're working with this younger generation, part of the thing to start with is not over disclosure. You don't have to tell them everything you've ever done, but your story is powerful. Whatever your story is, however many years or months or decades or minutes you've been coaching, your story is powerful. And starting by sharing some of that to make you relatable to that person gives you the opportunity to ask those questions and to build that relationship and let them see Jesus and how you act. I don't have to walk around smacking somebody with the Bible in the face to get them to see who Jesus is. In fact, that's probably the opposite of what's going to be effective.
2: Yeah. I just, I just met a girl yesterday uh, on the plane. And uh, she told me she had $150,000 worth of student loan debt, but she really wanted to change and get rid of that debt over time. And I said, well, you have to be persistent. You have to choose priorities. Um, you know, and, and take it one step at a time. You can't change overnight, Uh, but you can live on less, which is hard to do in our generation because we feel that we, we are uh, emboldened to have everything we want. They're do us. And reality is, is it, you know, you start with where they are and if they're not there or you are, that's okay. I can remember my wife had a bunch of debt when we got married, (laughs) you know, and we had a decision to make about how we were going to plan to do that. She owned a condo because she was older. She was 33 when we married and she already had a condo. And um, we decided to go ahead and sell the condo and take the money and pay the debt off. And uh, that wasn't the best thing. Even during our marriage life in the years years, everybody's complaining about seven seven point five percent interest rates on mortgages today well Mm -hmm. true inflation has affected that and they're coming back since in the 2000s well my first mortgage with my wife was 10.75 percent and that's that was normal at that time you know so I don't complain about that, but I reality, but I did make a decision. We made a choice when the interest rates started coming back down um, in the late 80s and early 90s. We made a decision to refinance and to get a lower seven percent interest, which is what the interest rates are now. You know, for new new house purchase in many cases. And so, um, I didn't make nothing was ever perfect. I had to make decisions and we weighed those together to be able to do that. If you're a single person, you're in a tough place. Um, I remember speaking one time to the resident student, medical students at, um, at Vanderbilt in Nashville. And most of them were graduating from their residency into a full-time doctor's position. And all of them were asking the question, should we buy a house? Should we get a house? And I said, well, how much student debt do you have? Oh, three hundred thousand <laughs> And you know that was craziness, but you know, I said, start there. Don't buy a house right off top. Yeah <laughs> Toys are big in our culture too, and so um, you know we can we can make crazy decisions. But the big picture is is it just start where they are. But like I said, you have to know the facts to be able to give definitive answers but you have to leave alternatives. Give them opportunities to make change through their decision-making, because it's their behavior that wants, you want to see change in terms of their personal health, if you really care about who they are.
1: So um, I can't help but as I'm listening to this conversation, the question specifically called out millennials, y'all this isn't a millennial or a Gen Z challenge, this is an every person challenge. Yeah. Um, I, I, it doesn't matter. I mean, people people meet Jesus and the last breath of their life. Um, you know, having been introduced for all of their life in some cases, um, it, you know, it's a choice that's made. So the question being, how do I, you know, do this without fear of losing clients? Well, number one, if you're afraid of losing clients, you're focusing on the wrong thing. I'm just going to say that out loud, mm-hmm, right? Sure. And, and number two, though, is okay. that it, this, is, this is anybody and everybody that we meet may have a resistance to Jesus because they are trying to, it, it, it's even the coaching principle. If I have enough questions and I understand their situation and I dig deeper and let them talk and understand themselves, the answers come. It's the same way with Jesus. Y'all, it's the same way. Now, uh, um, somebody I mentioned the principles in the chat box, and and Tim put those four principles back in the chat box for you that Russ outlined earlier. Um, is The heart of a coach, that's what he's talking about, is the heart of a coach. So, I, you know, I've got, I, um, I have birthed millennials and Gen Zs, all right? And um, I, my generation You know, came after the boomers, and y'all, we raised ourselves with independent thinking, latchkey kids, right? We didn't need anybody but us. So you could have said the same thing about my generation. You know, it's 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 this is a people problem, not a generational problem. Y'all just share the love of Jesus. You just do. We see people like Jesus saw them. We meet them right where they are. We, we, we talk to them about their life and their problems and their struggles and their loves and their passions and the things that they want and need in life. Hmm. Then we'll talk to them about money. Right? and that way, yeah. in that what Jesus did, Russ, right? He, he met their needs and listened to them and hung out with them and sat and laughed and joked and danced and attended their parties and enjoyed life with people and earned the privilege to speak the truth into their lives, and that's what we do.
2: Yeah. Hmm. Well, remember the first principle, seeing people the way Jesus saw them.
1: He didn't see them
2: the way we see people. People cut us off in the freeway. They 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 get in the way of one of our goals. Maybe they're kind of a character is really shaky, and we feel disparaging and for put down by them in terms of the, the methodology of where they get. But he said, see them the way I see them. They have needs. They were downcast and distressed like sheep without a shepherd. So what does a shepherd do? He doesn't beat a sheep and get dummy, you dummy know, and smack them up the side of the head. What he does is he builds a relationship with the sheep and and then that takes place over time and so that's where coaching comes in so Russ again personally
3: as a coach who has done this for decades and decades you know through the years obviously you and Joy had your own financial troubles from time to time sure how did you how did you handle that personally as, as, a, as a coach, right? Again, holding that integrity and how did you live life out the way we do, right? Um, and the way you teach, the way you help others. Um, right. How did you do that when you had those struggles?
2: Well, you love your spouse and you work through conflict with them because you're not going to agree about everything. My wife is a type A personality. i married up which most of us guys did sure. did. Uh, But uh, the reality is, is that she's a project person. She's always thinking, I've never known anybody. She will lack sleep at night sometimes because her thoughts are still going, you know, and stuff like that. I go to bed, I'm out, you know, Um, but she goes to bed at eight o'clock. I go to bed at 10. So it's, it's definitely different. But the reality is, is that we don't always see eye to eye on everything. And, uh, there's, there's things that we can do. One thing we do do is we pray together every morning. Uh, you know, that's helping for us as a coach and, uh, I'm still coaching people. I have several single parents and divorcees and gals that, uh, are widow or widowers uh, that I'm still coaching with, and I don't charge people at this stage of my life. I'm there to help. And so, um, the nice thing about coaching was, is that. I just I just said if you can't afford it, you can't afford it. We'll work it together. So I'll just coach you where you are. So, but with my wife, uh, we don't agree. It's like eye to eye. What we do about every four or five years is we do a, do about a, a series of counseling sessions with a professional counselor about how to communicate, how to work on talking to each other in ways that they're. And so I'm not, I'm vulnerable there. And, and I see that we just finished a, a year of spending time with a counselor just because we wanted to find out how best we could communicate in areas that lacked intimacy or something of that nature, or in this case, uh, didn't deal with conflict as well. And so those things were valuable to us. I'm not, I don't look down on that as a, as a negative thing, I look at it as a positive contribution to our relationship. Um, yeah, uh, you know, what we do is we don't agree. We'll spend some time thinking, praying about it, talking about it. My wife, um, her name is joy and she teaches Hebrew and she's written three books, Hebrew with joy, you know, type of thing and stuff like that teaches at a seminary over the internet. And, uh, you know, uh, I want to encourage her to become all that she can be. And that's different than I am. And so part of that is help. When she started her book, writing her books, I said, what we'll do is we'll commit a certain dollar amount to a checking account for your benefit. So you can work with that. And then you just pay me back as you, you can. So we don't do it. We don't do it to earn money. We do it because we have a love for the language and we have a love for uh, her utilizing her ability to teach, which is very. She's quite an outstanding teacher because she makes things simple and clear. She doesn't always make things simple for me. <laughs> um, I have to work sometimes at understanding what she's trying to trying to see, say to me in terms of handling it. But, you know, we're different and that's okay. And so um, part of that is talking it through, learning to solve conflict, you know, making decisions together. Um, and, uh, but even when you had those financial
3: troubles, yeah, as a coach, you lived this out together yeah. with her.
2: Well, yeah, we had to. Um, have you ever made a bad financial decision? Well, as a coach, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I have. And, and, uh, every once in a while, I'll do something impulsive, which is not part of my normal nature, but I'll do that. And, uh, not the great oh. Russ Carroll. Yeah. Oh, no. Impulsive? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, impulsive at moments so just like anybody um, but I have my first grandson right now mr cruz and um, he's uh he's got a t-shirt on and my favorite picture of him at 23 months old is rad like dad and um, his his dad my son-in-law has a show. rad dad and so he he's got a t-shirt Brad like my dad, so but but so there's new new ground to be changed, and and you know, and I'm concerned and pray for and think about my daughter, and her husband, and raising their son in a way that's healthy. You know, how can we influence that in a positive way, without stepping on their toes because they think differently than we do. And uh, part of that is there. So financially, we make decisions based on what we have. Now, if we need a new computer or laptop, I've had four laptops. You know, my my hard drives die on those laptops for some reason, I don't know why. But then we have to go buy consider buying one. I even have my newest laptop, came off the hinges on the laptop. I took it down to the Geek Squad at Best Buy in Colorado Springs and they sent it off to be fixed and they lost it. So my laptop's not there, so what do we do? we talked to them and they said well we'll we'll give you a voucher for a free laptop a new laptop and so i bought a new laptop and then three weeks later they said we found it but we didn't fix it yet said don't fix it don't worry about it (laughs) i've got the new one now and so that's what we did so it's everything's a little weird sometimes because they don't always work out the way that you think they're going to work out or happen the way you're going to think they're going to happen anyway I hopefully so, that addresses your question. So, Russ, you may have to go
3: way back in your memory. <laughs> I hate to pick on you because I That's have trouble okay. with that myself. But
2: never mind, Tim. But anyway, <laughs> if it was before 70, I don't know that I remember it. There's, but, uh, there's, but, there's uh, a
3: whole lot of young coaches listening to you right now. Right, right. And it's like sitting with the sage. You climb the mountain and you just sit there and listen to the sage, right? And it's like, what would you tell these young coaches just getting started? They have that same passion you had when you first got started as a young man. Remember how you felt. And with all of your wisdom and with all of your experience, what would you tell these young coaches just getting started today?
2: Um, Coach somebody you know uh you know i mean because you learn somebody capture that (laughs) somebody you know because when you're starting out i'm i'm talking with a gal that went through the training and stuff like that that's in colorado springs right now or winter winter park really she lives there but i'm going to meet with her on the 6th of september and i'm going to meet back with her and she's wanting to start well she's got a full-time job and uh she's gone i said well go to your hr department and see if they're willing to provide a financial piece university for your for your for your business. And it's a big business. It's a utility company for all of Colorado Springs. Well, you know, see what they'll do. And I said, then maybe you could do this, or you could I so I sent her a copy of, because I have no big deal with copywriting the stuff that I do. I sent her a a, a PowerPoint that we created for. Teaching biblical principles of finance, or in this case, teaching just how to make better financial choices and decisions. And so I sent that to her and she took it to her HR department. That they're gonna allow her to speak once a quarter for their company. Well, she'll gain referrals from that, but it's gonna happen when she actually sits down and talks to somebody. And then you you look I I didn't feel like a, a an expert or a sage or or something like that when it came down to first start, kind coaching, I made a lot of mistakes, you know, but I tried to look and make changes from mistakes that I made and 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 keep at it. Uh, some of you are doing it for not for profit. Some of you are doing it for a fee. Choose your fee, get it what it is and, and start there. I can remember when Dave and I started a third of the 700 people that I coached the first year were free because they didn't have the money. Now, Dave didn't like that, but, uh, <laughs> but, but uh, actually Lisa and Ronnie were one of my financial coach, coaching clients uh, before she came and met and we went, we got to know each other and mentored her a little bit. But the idea, the idea being is, is that sometimes it just happens and you know you you do the best you can with what you understand and know um and uh so are we winding down lisa
1: we are winding down and um y'all when my husband and i met russ we were in a total and complete crisis in every imaginable way um not not just with money my husband's health right uh, our marriage was just absolutely hanging by a thread it mm-hmm. all all we needed was just one snip of the scissor and we'd have been gone we were done for yeah. and we sat in that in that room with russ and let me tell you what we took from it there were a lot of i mean we came out of it with some immediate plans we we had some action steps you know we, he, he let us develop some things um but there were two things that never he that were ingrained in my soul in that coaching session and one was a, a affirmation of a heart of generosity i saw a person in front of me a man in front of me that was generous beyond imagination now, i'm not talking about money he didn't give us any money he didn't give us anything with his spirit with his prayer, with his attention, with his time, you know. And I thought to myself when I left there, when was the last somebody, last time somebody heard me like this? He gave me that. That was one thing. The second thing he gave me was a prompting in my spirit that I am capable. We are capable. We can seek the Lord, who is the one who will help us overcome but what could be tragedy in our lives. He gave us confidence to step out. And instead of saying, I can't do it, saying I can do it. And then when coaching chose me, when I came to work and serve him later, you all, the same principles applied in having, he said mentor a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> For about 14 years, y'all. Um I, I'm on boast on that one. Um But he, the just, I, I would just sit and, and go in and say, listen, this is what's happening with these people I just talked to. They're not going to be clients, but how do we help them? And the generosity was just poured out and into continually. Mm-hmm. There was no transaction in any a communication I ever had with Russ Carol. No transaction ever. It was always with a servant's heart and a servant's mindset. You know, and then here he sits today because that's who he is. And that's our personality, I, I hope, our character here in coaching that has been passed on now to, to Tim and Justin, who's carrying that on. And um, they did not work here when Russ worked here. Isn't that amazing? His legacy and, and, and his spirit is still here manifesting itself. And I'm just really grateful for that, Russ.
2: Thanks. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's heavy. Yeah. Well, every coach's training, after we wrote it, we mm-hmm. gave it and changed it and twist, twisted it and made it more palatable and stuff like that.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I mm-hmm. were reminded that I was in Jerusalem with my wife and during my time in Jerusalem, it was during what they call the Feast of Tabernacles, which is in the fall. And, uh, we were standing on a balcony overlooking the hotel, which is where the western wailing wall is and there was 100,000 people in that in that in that little area and in drives uh, a white limo and a priest gets out all dressed in white and he goes down to the wailing wall and covers his head so he can pray and over the loudspeaker from numbers chapter 6 um they pressed a prayed a blessing over the people that were there, and um, it was a it was a moving moment for me because it it helped me to understand that God is interested, and the Scripture talks about the fact that God told Moses, "Teach Aaron how to bless the people." And so, as a result, that moment was something that really stuck with me. That every counselor training we had, I think that I taught with. And of course, it changed as I changed out of the environment. But the fact of the matter is, is it just stayed with me because people needed to hear that God was interested in blessing them and placing his name on them. And so you as coaches have an opportunity to have God's name placed on you. And so for that reason, in Hebrew and then in English, I'm going to bless you today. Is that okay? Okay. So, it goes like this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you, his face upon you. And give you peace. And so I say that in Bashem Yeshua, uh, Mashiach, Sarshalom Shalom, Jesus, in the name of Jesus, the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thanks for Thank letting you me. Be. I'm just, I'm just visiting the office here because when David and I started, we had a card table. <laughs> We're and a little beyond they, the card table now. They days. got now they got these buildings, you know, and it's kind of wild. today <laughs> has been it. an upgrade, Russ. <laughs> yeah, so,
3: I hear you.
0: Well, Russ, thank you so much for coming and sharing your wisdom, thank you. sharing the, the blessing upon us, upon all these fantastic coaches. Well over four hundred of you on here live today. As always, this was recorded. Uh, watch for the recording in the Real Talk tab on the left side of your screens in FCMT. Uh, again, it usually takes a day or two to get that up there, so keep an eye out for that. Uh, but really, really phenomenal stuff. It was an honor uh, to have you not only here today, but to have the legacy that you've built in all those decades of coaching uh, and to see that played out through Lisa and Les and what they've carried on and what Justin and I are carrying on, what, what we have all at Ramsey Solutions built upon. This is the foundation of everything that we do at Ramsey Solutions. It's getting with people, seeing people, like Russ said, as Jesus saw them so that we can also have, be moved to compassion so that we can pray for them like Jesus did and so that we can do the things that Jesus did to serve these people well. That's what we're here for. So thanks, everyone. We'll see y'all on the next Real Talk in just a couple of weeks. Until then, God bless y'all.
2: Thank you.